0: All right. Hey, let's just go ahead and give it up for Kenny. You know what I'm saying? Isn't he awesome? That's right. So hopefully he gets out of the hospital soon. But uh, check this out. One day, Kenny, he uh, decides to go horseback riding, right? How many you guys seen the horses around here? Isn't that wild horses here in Vegas? It's cool. So Kenny, he decides to go and let off some steam. And uh, uh, although he had no prior lessons, uh, and no prior experience, he decided to give it a try, Ruth. It's a guy thing, right? So he, he, he finds this horse and he mounts it and he, and he did it totally unassisted by the way. And so the horse immediately springs into action and it starts galloping at this slow rhythmic pace. Okay, but all of a sudden, Kenny starts to slip from the saddle, right? So in terror, he grabs for the horse's mane there, uh, but, but he just can't seem to get a firm grip on it. And, and so he, he, he tries to throw his arms around the horse of the neck there, and, but he slides down uh, even further uh, from the horse anyway. And so now the horse, it didn't stop. It's still galloping along, seemingly oblivious to its rider. And so finally Kenny, he decides to give up his frail grip on the horse and, and tries to leap away from the horse uh, to safety. But that's when the, his foot got entangled up in the stirrup, okay? And so now he's at the mercy of the horse's pounding hooves and his head. Get this, is striking the ground again and again and again and again. And as his battered head continues to hit the ground, and Kenny's just mere moments away from total unconsciousness, when all of a sudden Stan, the Walmart manager, he came out and shut off the horse. <laughs> Waited all week for that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. How many guys would say that was a pretty close call for Kenny there? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> i tell you what. He was, it was, it was looking serious. A couple more moments and he would have been a goner, right? Yeah. But that's right, folks. Believe it or not. Did you know the Bible says that Kenny's not the only one who's going to go for a bad ride one day feeling like a bunch of goners, okay? Believe it or not, the Bible says the whole planet's going to go for a bad ride and that's going to happen when? At the rapture of the church, and the reason why it's gonna be such a horrible ride, you're gonna wish it was just a Walmart horsey thing gone bad, okay? It's because for those who refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says they will be catapulted into the seven year tribulation, and that is not a joke. It is an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said it's gonna be a time of greater horror this planet has ever seen or will ever see again, and that unless God was merciful and shortened that time frame, the entire human race will be wiped out, okay? But as we've been seeing, praise God, God's not just a God of wrath. He's going to put an evil uh, into this evil and suffering. That's good news, you know. But praise God, he's a God of love as well. And that's why he gives us so many warning signs to show us when it's getting close. The seven-year tribulation and Jesus Christ, his second coming as well. Therefore, to keep you and I here at sunrise from experiencing the ultimate bad day, worse than Going to Walmart, apparently. We're going to continue our study called, that's right, The Final Countdown. We've already seen on The Final Countdown, the number uh, 10 sign was? Jewish people, that's right. The number nine sign was? modern. We got that one this week, praise God. The number eight sign was? Mm, 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 mm. That's right, worldwide upheaval, Ruth, you got that. Uh, The number seven sign was the rise of falsehood. In the last two times we saw it was the rise of wickedness is what was going on there. And what we saw there is that God lovingly foretold you and I that when we see across the planet, this massive increase of absolute unadulterated wickedness in all levels of society, which is happening right now today all over the world, Thanks in part, as we saw, to a wicked worldview called humanism, and last time with a wicked teaching and attack from atheistic evolution, it's an indicator from God that we're what? (laughs) Like it, lump it or leave it, we're living in the last days, is what he says. And it also explains why and how we turn from being a great, strong, mighty, awesome Christian nation into what we have to deal with. Today, but that's not the fourth reason why we've turned from a great mighty strong christian nation to this rise of wickedness we see today is the promotion of a wicked worship oh the unholy trinity me myself and i that's the number one celebrated virtue folks what i'm talking about is the self-love self-esteem movement that has been promoted by secular psychology and little do people know that this false teaching has actually aided in this massive rise of evil wicked behavior, okay? But don't take my word for it. God told us this one behavior, when it all becomes about self, is gonna be responsible for spawning all kinds of wicked behavior in the last days. Once again, let's go back to our text in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses one through five. Let's turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it says right here in the text, and it's just like, wild. it's like, man, we've fallen for this one, and yet it's the first thing on the list. Let's take a look. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Let's take a look there. If you find Timothy, what do you do? Tell him to get in here. Services started, that's right. And uh, 2 Timothy, and uh, chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Once again, it's clear as a bell. You don't have to pray and fast. A long time to figure this out, okay? This is not hidden here in some southern Hebrew Greek, okay? Uh, It is right here in the text. Let's take a look. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter three verses one through five. Here's what Paul says. But mark this. In other words, pay attention. Okay, he says there's going to be what kind of times? Terrible times, horrible times in the what? Last days. Why? What's the number one thing they're going to be doing? People will be what? Lovers of themselves. Can you believe that? Lovers of themselves, and then what's gonna happen? All of a sudden and then they're gonna become lovers of money. They're gonna become boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents and ungrateful and unholy and without love and unforgiving and slanderous and without self-control and brutal and not lovers of the good and treacherous and rash and conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying his power, so what do you do? You better have nothing to do with those kind of folks, okay? Bad company uh, corrupts good character uh, as the scripture also says elsewhere. But what we see, and this is what we saw a couple of weeks ago, is this this is the text that tells us one of the major obvious characteristics in the last days. How do we know we are headed for terrible times? How do we know that we're getting close to the last days? Is this going to be a society as you saw there with that list, one that is filled with absolute unadulterated, nonstop wickedness everywhere we go, right? again it says that they're going to be selfish they're going to be greedy and boastful and prideful and abusive and disobedient and ungrateful and unholy and unloving unforgiving slanders out of control brutal evil treacherous rash and conceited as we saw before every single one not just five out of ten not just four out of five doctors you ever wondered about that who's that rebel doctor that never agrees you know what i'm saying (laughs) that's right right. or five out of four doctors for those of you having a problem with fractions No, I digress. Every single one of those behaviors, not five out of 10, not four out of five, every single one of those wicked behaviors is commonplace in our world today. Now listen, here's the point, and bringing the passage up this time, I don't think it's by chance. What did the word of God say was the apparent root of all this wicked behavior? What was the very first thing that was mentioned there? That in the last days, people are going to be lovers of themselves. Now listen, tell me that's not the number one celebrated virtue in our society today, right? You have to, this is what society says, not what God says, we'll get to that in a second. Society says you have to be this lover of self. You have to love yourself first. In fact, they say you have to love yourself first, otherwise you won't be able to love God and other people, right? That's what the teaching is. Okay, and yet the Bible says this is what's wild. It's this preoccupation with self, and this promotion of it, and this love of self is what's causing all the wicked behavior that we see today. I didn't say it, God did it, it's right there in the text. And so once again, here's the sociological question. How did this happen? How in the world did this happen? How did we get tricked here in America? How did our once great mighty Christian nation turn from being lovers of God first, you know like what we just sung about, And if you understand again, the history of our nation, God came first. How do we go from being a nation of lovers of God first to lovers of self first? Well, John, thanks for asking. Once again, it works well with my notes. The first reason why we became lovers of self instead of lovers of God is because we listened to the teachings of Satan, believe it or not. The teachings of Satan rather than the word of God. You see, it's gone so deep and so bad, folks, in our society today, even in the church, that the average person today is convinced that is the teachings of self-love and self-esteem from secular psychology that is the antidote needed if we're going to cure all the wickedness we see in our world today right yet in reality they don't realize that they're being duped by the king of wickedness satan here's where self-love self-esteem self-first came from okay it's the fall of satan isaiah 14 is just one passage let's take a look here's where the bible says this started from Okay, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, Isaiah 14, 12-14, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. Why? Okay, You who once laid low the nations, here's what you did. You said in your heart, what? I, you know, self. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high satan there the fall of satan now folks right out of the gates there how many guys would say that satan obviously has a serious eye problem right he wanted to be god according to the text this is his fall he wanted to be god he wanted to call the shots he wanted to be first he wanted people to worship him to love him it's all about him 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 me myself and i the unholy trinity it's the epitome of self-love Self has to come first. It takes priority over everything. It's about what I want, I like, what I want to do, what I want to go, just like Satan. Now, here's the point. The Bible says that's the birthplace of sin. And it's what caused the fall of Satan. It started with an act of self-love. And it makes total sense if we're honest with ourselves, right? Because what do you think we're doing every single time we sin? At that moment in time, even though we know better, that God comes first. And if he says it, do it. And then all of his commands are good for us, by the way but at the moment we sin what are we in essence saying to god no it's about me not you it's about what i want it's what i want to do what i like my will is better than your will god in essence we're saying to god just like Satan. no it's about loving me first than it is you that's what we're doing when we sin today right if you think about it now here's the point and we wonder why things have gotten so rotten dare i say so devilish lately in society What are we cramming down people's throat? You're talking about throwing gas on a flame, right? At the birth of sin is all about self. And you're saying, feed that thing, love that thing, cherish that thing. And we wonder why sin is getting out of control. We're falling in the footsteps of Satan. If you don't think so, I need to wake you up to this, folks. I came out of this stuff. As you know, my testimony, one of my roommates, one of the first horrid downfalls, other than the drugs and the immorality, is he gave me a copy of the satanic bible and you need to understand folks what satanism really is at the heart of satanism it's all about self let's take a look at the first two laws of satanism folks and you tell me if self does not need to come first if you're going to be a what a good satanist here's uh, their actual teachings the first law of satanism is this do what you will shall be the whole of the law the number one law of satanism Okay. The second law that they have is called the uh, self-awareness law, quote, man is a divine being within, life's purpose is to realize the divine within. When this is achieved, you now recognize you are God, and if you know your Bible, that's Genesis chapter 3, that caused the fall of man the same lie, and this is what caused the fall of Satan, okay, that you can be your own God, that, that it's all about you, and you need to recognize that, and self has to come first, and we wonder why things are getting so satanic lately. Folks, we have actually been duped. This is the harsh reality, but here's the deal. When we live like this, and it's self, 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 and, I've got, and self has to be appeased and loved and stroked and self, self, more than God. We've just been trained to be a good Satanist. But don't take my word for it. Don't do to even just their laws. Listen to the Satanists themselves, they admit it. In fact, Anton LaVey, you know him? He admitted that when we live for self, like it or not, church, we're being just like him, a Satanist. Let's take a look.
1: The reason so many people reject the charge of Satan worship is because, as we saw earlier, they have a caricature of the devil and his religion in their minds. He's the horn-headed demon in red pajamas and serving him should he even exist would involve sacrificing babies, drinking blood, or something else equally horrible or bizarre. In reality, though, following Satan is far more mundane and universal than most people realize or would care to admit.
2: But I can do anything that I want to. I can pursue any kind of lustful, desires that I might feel, I can uh, engage in any activities that are so-called sinful activities and not really worry about any ecumenical councils making it right for me to do these things. Living for, as I've said, all of the earthly and carnal pleasures.
1: If a Christian said to you, you were just really worshipping yourself, what would you
2: say? In a sense, they would be right uh... it is a form of self-worship we feel that there's no reason why these people shouldn't just flip the coin completely over and simply call themselves what religion has called them for many many years call them devil worshippers or disciples of evil or satanists of course it's very hard for a person to hang an uncomplimentary label on themselves and for this reason for many years there will be people practicing satanism as good Christians or other religions, and uh, they will in, in, instinctively pursue the very same things that we are, as they always have. Uh, you are a Satanist for how long? Twelve years. Twelve years. Twelve years. How on earth did you get involved with something like Satanism? First of all, what is Satanism? Let me let's just That's give a definition. A, uh, what does it mean to be a Satanist? To have Satan as a god? To adore or to to uh, to adore or to. Uh, serve one God, or, or Satan. You're serving Satan. You're sa- serving self. More than anything else, it's uh, egocentric, good. self-centered, serve me, all is me, immediate gratification. That's what, all it's about.
1: As the occult magazine Gnosis acknowledged, if there's anything horrifying in its teachings, it's that these are the principles by which most people live most of the time, usually without admitting it even to themselves.
2: Mm.
0: It's like somebody finally answered the $50,000 question for you. And we don't want to admit it because it's pretty creepy, isn't it? Wow. Why, God, why? How, how did we fall? How, how did things get so bad? How did they escalate so fast? How, how did they, why are they getting out of control? Why is the evil getting much, much worse? How did our great, mighty Christian nation turn into such a society of now it's even going further into satanic, wickedness, and rebellion? I'll tell you why. Because we got duped. We allowed the infiltration of a wicked worship that's synonymous with Satanism into our schools, into our media, into our hearts, dare I say, even into the church, and we're tricked into walking around not like a bunch of selfless Christians like Jesus. But Satanists, where it's all about me. And I'm here to tell you, church, if there's any hope for our nation, we better get back on track. And we better get busy promoting what needs to be promoted first, and that is Jesus Christ's love, Jesus Christ's esteem, and Jesus Christ's respect, if there's any hope for our nation. Amen? Amen. But that's not all. The second reason why we became lovers of self instead of lovers of God is we also fell for stage two. We listened to the teachings of man, the blind (laughs) leading the blind, instead of the word of God. Okay. And to me, this is the question. Okay, Man, that's a tough cookie to swallow. We got duped into acting like Satanism, being consumed about self. My my question is this, how did he do it? How in the world did Satan get us, even born-again Christians, to act like him, being good Satanists, loving self more than God, fulfilling this prophecy in the last days in 2 Timothy 3? Well, John, you're on the ball today. Thanks again for asking. Uh, He did it by getting us to listen and believe and promote the teachings of man called secular psychology. And even though as we just saw, self-love, self-esteem, the selfism was started by Satan in Isaiah 14. It was slowly allowed to be introduced into our society, listen, by secular, God-hating, non-Christians involved in the occult, we'll get to that in a second, and it was elevated above God. It's one thing to allow that to come in, but now it's gone to stage two, and that's more important than the Bible. Let me give you a couple examples. Number one, if you recall that long ago in our country, when a crisis hit, when some horrible tragedy happened, how many guys remember the day when they still would have this even on the news, when they would call in somebody to give wise counsel to the victims? Who did it used to be? Used to be a pastor. Not anymore. I'm telling you, we flipped. Word of God apparently isn't good enough anymore. When a crisis hits our country today, hey, forget the pastor guy. He's a wacko as the media has brainwashed us into thinking. What they do is they call in a psychologist who's been trained in secular psychology from man. But people, the Bible is clear, I don't care how nifty man's so-called wisdom is in comparison to God, it's utter nonsense. I didn't say that, God did. Let's just take a look at one passage where God says this. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 19 through 20, as the scriptures say, I, God will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligence. Excuse me, you're gonna be saying you're smarter than God? I don't think so. And he says, so where does this lead? The philosophers, the, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters. Pfft. God has made the wisdom of this world look what? Foolish. Some translations they're utter nonsense. And so I'm not making this up according to the Bible. Hey, folks, let's deal with it. No matter how good man's wisdom might look, no matter how much society tries to convince us otherwise and tell us contrary, according to the word of God, even man's most brilliant minds in comparison to God's is absolute nonsense. Now, here's the point. Who in the right mind then, especially Christians, would seek counsel above the word of God from the mind of man? Right? Right? I mean, if you had to pick, you always need to pick the word of God. But not anymore. What are we being told by our society today? You don't need to go to the Father. No, no, no. You need to go to a Freudian psychologist. You don't need to go to your pastor. You need professional help. Don't seek the power of God. You need a psychologist. As if the word of God has somehow become insufficient. And dare I say, one Christian with one copy of the Bible, everything you need for life and godliness is right here. You don't even need a pastor. But we don't turn there anymore, do we? No, you need to go to a psychologist. Now, here's what's crazy. Okay, I don't care how something how professional it sounds. I, I don't care if it it, it it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wise. And as long as we would rather listen to a psychologist instead of our Savior who created us, mind, body, and soul. We're headed for trouble. And the reason why is because, shock here folks, everything that psychology teaches is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. And we wonder why things are messed up? I don't think so. Let's take a look at just a few examples. The Bible says that man is the creation of God, right? Well, psychology says, no, you got it wrong. It says that man is a creature of evolution. You're just a bag of chemicals, okay? The Bible says that man's purpose is to glorify God. Well, psychology says, no, man's purpose is to fit in with their fellow man. The Bible says that God is the ultimate supreme authority, right? Well, according to psychology, no, man is the supreme authority, you know, humanism. Uh, the Bible says that the word of God is the standard for our behavior, right? You follow God, woo, it's going to be a good life. Well, that's not what psychology says. It says the norm of society is the standard for our behavior. Gee, that opens up a can of worms. Uh, the Bible says the biggest obstacle in life is sin. Ooh! Ah, ooh ah. Well, according to psychology, no, it's uh, mental illness is your biggest problem. Uh, the Bible says that bad behavior comes from our internal sin nature, right? And you've got to deal with it. Well, here's what psychology says. No, 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 it comes from sexual repression and our external environment and you just need to let yourself free. And you wonder why things are getting out of hand. The Bible says that repentance and faith, this is the message of hope. You want to get out of the mess you're in? Follow God, repent. Message of repentance and faith in Christ can effectively change behavior. You're no longer a slave to sin. Woo! Here's what psychology tells us. No, 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 you got it wrong. The way to change simple behavior is to place guilt or blame on other people. We'll get to that in a second. Free your repressed desires. Take drugs or submit to psychoanalysis, sensitivity training, group therapy, and Ruth, (laughs) et. So here's your choice, guys, when you get out of bed. Uh, The choice is here. Hey, you can listen to the Holy Bible inspired by Almighty God. Or hey, that's right, you can listen to modern psychology invented by wicked, sinful men and we wonder why things are going down the tubes. I don't know about you, and hopefully I'm not just saying that because I I are a pastor. (laughs) I think I'll stick to the Word of God. How about you? Especially, we've seen this before, especially on top of all this, it's not only the absolute opposite of the Bible, but when you take a look at the lives of these secular psychologists, the pillars of psychology, who brought us this self-love, self teaching, when you take a look at their lives, it's whacked out, and that's being kind. And I'm supposed to listen to them for advice? I don't think so, let's take a look at a couple examples and this is all well documented. How about Freud, you know? Sigmund Freud, first of all, was an evolutionist who believed that man had evolved from lower animals and that the idea of an almighty God was just a myth made up by our forefathers to cope with life. And I'm supposed to listen to this guy? Oh, it gets worse, he was also a believer in the positive health benefits of cocaine yeah and he was a user for many years and he also had a severe addiction to nicotine uh, to the tune of smoking an average of 20 cigars a day which eventually led to his death and by the way freud refused to be psychoanalyzed himself by his own teachings in the south we call that a hypocrite hypocrite for those who are not in the south Okay, hey, how about Abraham Maslow? This is one of the big guys that pushed this self-love, self-esteem thing. He said that the motivation for his life work was this, the absolute hatred of his mom. Yeah, and I need to go to this guy for family counsel. It's all well-documented. I cannot stand my mom. And he birthed these ideas. Folks, it gets even worse as we go. Karen Horner, she decided she wasn't happy with her marriage after two years. And so she began a life of constant sexual affairs to which her husband did not object. She also had a serious uh, sexual addiction uh, for young men, which included her students and colleagues and even had sexual relations with other women as well. And so if I'm struggling with sin, I need to listen to her advice. Here's the big one for the last folks. He's one of the big pillars outside of Freud. Carl Jung, I'm not making this up, I can show you the actual secular documentation from this. He made a wooden man out of a ruler that he called Mannequin. And he kept that thing in a wooden case and he frequently talked to it in times of trouble. I'm going to him for advice. Hi, JR, have a seat there, buddy. And tell me what's the problem. Well, I'm having a struggle with this. Oh, excuse me. Hey, Mannequin, what should I do with this guy? <laughs> Mannequin says, <coughs> that's the tip of the iceberg. He also had a mystical experience while he was sitting on a rock where he couldn't tell by his own words if he was the rock or the rock was him. <laughs> he later described what was a major mega, he called it a spiritual breakthrough in life, where he considered, is when he had a vision, supposedly, of God going to the bathroom on a church sanctuary from the sky and it, broke through the roof. And, and that was a major spiritual breakthrough for him according to his own words. However, what most people don't realize is that Carl Jung was also completely absorbed in the occult. He studied their teachings, he attended seances, he listened to mediums, he practiced necromancy, and had daily contact with disembodied spirits, which he called archetypes. The Bible calls them demons, okay? In fact, much of what he wrote was inspired by such entities, one of which he called Philemon. Listen to an actual quote from Carl Jung. He said, Philemon and other figures of my fantasies brought home to me the crucial insight that there are things in the psyche which I do not produce, but which produce themselves and have their own life. Philemon represented a force which was not myself, In my fantasies, I held conversations with him, and he said things which I had not consciously thought, for I observed clearly that it was he who spoke, not I. Philemon was a mysterious figure to me. I went walking up and down the garden with him, and to me, he was what the Indians call a guru. Uh, The Bible calls that a demon. Now, folks, I know it's still a little bit early in the morning, but maybe it's just me, but I'm kind of thinking, I'm not a professional. I'm thinking these psychologists had some psychological problems. With all due respect. Now here's the point, and I'm supposed to listen to their teachings, including this one they come up with that stems from Satanism called self-love, self-esteem? I don't think so. And this is what's ironic, it gets worse as you go. Even though it's totally unbiblical, it came from Satan and it's being promoted by who? By these God-hating, sexually immoral, drug addicts involved in the cult. We still listen to them more than God. And we're told to do that. Just bypass the church. Don't even read the Bible. That's some antiquated book. You need professional help. Is what we're being told today. And listen, they've also gone to convince us that we have to do this. We have to be, as Second Timothy three says, gonna happen in the last days. We have to be lovers of ourselves so much so we've got to do so at all costs. Listen, because if you don't, you won't have a fulfilling life. And that's why, for the sake of yourself, you have to ignore sinful behavior, you have to refrain from discipline, and you have to blame others, you have to avoid personal responsibility. Don't believe me? Let me give you a couple of those uh, examples, okay? The Bible says you need to deal with your uh, behavior, first of all, okay? But this is why, apparently, right now, uh, 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 parents in Connecticut are taking their son's school to court. You know why? Listen, because he was caught destroying school property and so they expelled him from school. Appropriate reaction, right? Listen, they're suing the school because the parents say that their son now has feelings of unworthiness and that his self-worth has been damaged and so they're suing the school. This baloney is also why they're in Maine signs saying happy holidays and the singing of Christmas carols are being excluded and being banned, quote, for fear of making somebody feel excluded. In Manhattan, Mother's Day is being eliminated because some kids may not have a mother and this could damage their self-esteem. But apparently so does dodgeball and kickball because they promote competitiveness and, and that makes some kids feel excluded and that's no longer tolerated it starts to open up a can of worms. It explains a lot of stuff in our society, doesn't it? Now, if that wasn't ludicrous enough, even when you put this to the test, it doesn't even work. I mean, it's one thing that's from Satan. is where it started. It's nothing that came from secular, God-hating, drug addicts, immoral guys. <laughs> but when you put the thing to test, it doesn't even work. I can see the rational, well, we have to do this. I know the Bible says don't do it. That's acting like, like a Satanist. We have to do it because if we don't, it doesn't work. Let me give you a couple examples. Researchers decided to test this thing. Okay? The effectiveness of self-love self-esteem in schools by measuring how high the students thought of themselves academically. Listen, as it turned out, the more highly they thought of themselves and their supposed abilities, the less ability they had. Okay? A case in point is how kids in Washington D.C. ranked number 1 in the United States for self-esteem. Woo! But they ranked second to last in academic performance. One researcher says years of self-love propaganda has succeeded only in producing self-deluded kids. It doesn't work. One researcher said this, incredibly, while the moral fabric of society continues to unravel, self-esteem is thriving. All the positive thinking about ourselves seems not to be doing anything to elevate our culture and motivate people to live better lives. Can it really be that self-esteem, low self-esteem is what's wrong with people today? Does anyone seriously believe that making people feel better about themselves has helped the problems of crime, moral decay, divorce, child abuse, juvenile delinquency, drug addiction, and all the other evils that have dragged our society down? And is there any shred of evidence that would support such a belief? None. Absolutely none. The notion that self-esteem makes people better is simply a matter of blind religious faith. And not only that, it is a religion that is antithetical to Christianity because it is predicated on the unbiblical preposition that people are basically good. And you just need to recognize your own goodness. King David said, surely I was a sinner from birth. Jesus Christ died on the cross, while we were still ungodly, sinners, enemies, not because we were so good. And we still wonder why people, things are falling apart. Why, God, why, why? Why is our country going down the tubes? Why is it getting worse? Why is it getting out of control? Not just in the world, but even in the church, why? How did this happen? Because we allow the infiltration of a wicked worship from secular men that's synonymous with Satanism into our schools, into our media, into our hearts, dare I say, even the church, and we're acting like a bunch of selfish, self-centered devils. That's why. And I'll say it again, if there's any hope for our nation, it's high time that we, the church, get back on track and start living like our Lord, a selfless life. We need to start promoting what needs to come first, Jesus Christ's love, Jesus Christ esteem, Jesus Christ respect, if there's any hope to turn things around. Amen? One more to go. Okay, the third reason why we became lovers of self instead of lovers of God is because we listen to the twistings of scripture rather than the teaching of the word of God. Now this is what blows me away. It's one thing for the world to fall for this folks, but there's actually people in the church who've twisted the scripture to, 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 to try to make the Bible say, we have to love ourselves first. You just gotta do it. I don't think so. And even though as we just saw, it's clearly satanic in origin. It's being promoted by secular men who are atheist God haters involved in the occult and not to mention, It doesn't even work. Here's one of their favorite passages to try to twist to say we have to love ourselves first. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 39. And Jesus replied, here it is, the question, what's the greatest thing we could be doing? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus came back with two. He says, love the Lord your God with some of your heart because you gotta come first. No, all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, there it is. I mean, it's just plain as day. The Bible clearly says we've got to love ourselves more than God and certainly more than other people for fulfilling life. It said it right there, Bill. No, that's not at all what it says. That's what they quote, but they twist the thing and wrench it completely out of context. If you read the context, it's a byproduct of loving God first is what gives us the ability to love our neighbors, right? And two, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not that we have a difficulty in loving ourselves. Are you kidding me? Ask anybody who's married, what causes half of all marital problems? I'll guarantee it's because one or both were being selfish. You don't have a problem with that. And then you might say, well, I know somebody who, who doesn't love themselves. They actually hate themselves. But if you think about it, that's still a preoccupation with self. Dr. Martin Bobkin, he says, quote, now, now we are not saying that there are no individuals who genuinely think that they hate themselves. Listen, however, what they genuinely hate is something about themselves or their circumstances. They exhibit actual love for themselves in that they contend to spend most of their time concerned with themselves, even if it is with unhappy thoughts. They generally get to the point where they are unhappy about themselves because a discrepancy exists between their aspirations and their desires and their performance and their condition. This intensive hate is evidence of high self-interest. If you think about it. Therefore, the Bible says the challenge is take this natural ongoing inclination to love yourself first, no matter how you want to mask it, and get busy, number one, extending that to God, and number two, your neighbor. That's it. That's what the Bible says you need to do for fulfilling life. Also notice that there are only two commandments that Jesus gave there, right? He said, number one, love God. Number two, love your neighbor. That's it, right? Ipso facto. He did not say there were three commandments there, Right? And he certainly didn't say, take this mythical third commandment that's not there, love yourself first, and then put that over the first two. He didn't say that. And yet that's what the self-love, self-esteem proponents that do. They create this supposed third commandment, and they go so far and say, if you don't do this third commandment that's not even there to love yourself first, if you don't do that, you can't love God, and you can't love other people. You talk about twisting the scripture. But that's not all. I've only got time to give you one more that they twist to try to say oh yeah the bible teaches it." no it doesn't it's matthew chapter 10 let's take a look at that one here's what they do with this one matthew 10 verse 29 through 31 it says this are not two sparrows sold for a penny jesus of course speaking yet i tell you not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father and even the very hairs on your head are all numbered so don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows Guys, there it is. It's, it's right there in black and white. We, we need to acknowledge our self worth. I mean, what did it say? It says we are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, we've got to acknowledge how incredibly worthy we are. And as some of these teachers would say, that's why Jesus died on the cross. He had to die on the cross because you were so worthy. Direct quote. Now, my Bible says, He died for us while we were sinners under His wrath. Cut off from him, enemies ungodly. And besides, anybody with an accounting degree, let alone a calculator, can realize if you take a look at what's going on there, it's not gonna add up to a very big worth. What did he say there? He said, we are worth more than many sparrows. If you read the context, he's saying that two sparrows are sold for how much? One penny, right? Let's do the math. You guys ready? If your many sparrows added up to, let's say, throughout a number of 500, you're worth 500 sparrows right do the math man how much that is at one penny per two sparrows you would be worth two dollars and fifty cents oh i feel so good yeah i can't even get a happy meal <laughs> isn't that ironic or i know you bet you've had a really good week this week i'm serious man you've just been bonding with kenny with that walmart horse a jo- yeah, whatever. It's going to be a rough week, but he anyway, would pray for me. <laughs> and and you, you, your sparrows bumped up twice. You got a thousand sparrows going on. Do the math. You're now up to f- five bucks. <laughs> Honey, I feel so satisfied in life. According to these self esteem papronas, I am worth five dollars. I can go and get that foot long sub at, at Subway. Five dollars. It all fits perfectly. Don't you see how biblical it is? Five bucks. And if you read the context, it has nothing to do with that. The context is not dealing with the so-called great worth of us. The context is dealing with God's greatness and his great providential care for us and so we don't have to worry. That's what the, uh, the context is. And then if that wasn't bad enough, these guys mysteriously ignore other passages of scripture that says, no, you need to deal with your sinful behavior. Like this, you don't see him quoting these kind of passages. What's the Bible say about yourself? Here's what you need to do when you blow it. You need to own up to it, not sue people for it. Ezekiel 20, verse 43, therefore you will remember your conduct and all the actions by which you have defiled yourselves and you will what? Love yourself? No, you'll loathe yourselves. You need to deal with it for all the evil that you have done. Ezekiel 36, 31 through 32. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conducts. Oh, house of heaven. Do you wonder why people don't repent? That's a word you don't hear very often. Maybe it's because if we say that, it might damage somebody's self-esteem. Do you see what it's causing? Okay, let's continue. Job, listen to what Job said. Maybe he had a self-esteem problem. He said, quote, therefore, I despise myself because he talked back at God. I despise myself. And I what? Repent in dust and ashes. 2 Corinthians 5, well, maybe that's just an Old Testament thing. No, it's all over the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, Paul says, and he, Jesus, died for all that those who who live should no longer live for who? yourselves but for him jesus who died and was raised again first corinthians thirteen four. love is neither anxious to impress nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance it says it clearly right there philippians chapter 2 verse 3 how do you get around this one let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem who not you others better than yourself. And how do you get around these two passages? Romans 7, 18-24. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? I have to take the time. We've talked about this before, but that word wretched is now being removed in churches' vocabularies today. I'm not kidding you. Even songs like Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me has now been supplanted on purpose in the lyrics on the overhead amazing grace that saved a person like me why because they say if we say wretched and it's a biblical term it will hurt their self-esteem and they're rewriting even the lyrics and then finally again how do you get around this one guys Matthew 16 24 then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone would come after me what's the first thing you better be doing deny yourself take up your cross and get busy following him folks the bible clearly says we've got to be honest with our sinful behavior we have to deal with it if we can be set free with it not excuse it away not blame other people for it and certainly don't sue people who are rightfully disciplining us for our bad behavior and yet that's what our society's doing and then to make matters worse this false teaching is not only not biblical listen here's the good news that is ripping us off of where our true value lies. How many of you guys can verify that sometimes, even as a Christian, you're still going to sin? So, where do you get your peace back? Is it saying you just sinned egregiously against God, against somebody else, and do you just sit there and look in the mirror? I got to love myself. I gotta, or is it when you acknowledge it before God and you realize that, in, listen to this phrase, in spite of us? We are forever loved and accepted and forgiven. Isn't that where the freedom comes? Not in these self-inflated statements of self, self, self. It comes in what Jesus Christ has done for me. And because of that, listen to who we are. This is the great message in the Bible as far as our identity is concerned. Because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, I am his beloved. I am his child. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am blameless. I am spotless. I'm without blemish. I'm considered a beautiful bride. I'm blessed in the heavenly realms. I'm born again. I belong to God. I cannot be separated. He calls me a saint. I'm a citizen of heaven. I cannot lose my salvation. I'm complete in Christ. I cannot be condemned. I'm dearly loved. I'm delivered. I have direct access to the throne of grace. I am dead to sin, I'm healed from sin. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm a friend of Jesus, I've been forgiven by Jesus. I'm established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am sealed and set free from my past. I'm kept by God's power, I'm prayed for by Christ, and I'm not going to hell, why? Because 19 years ago, God had mercy upon my soul and made me a new creation in him and every single Christian. That's where our value lies. That's why we can go to sleep at night in peace even when we do act wicked ourselves, church, because we've dealt with our behavior, we've confessed it over to God, and we've repented of it and trusted in the forgiveness of Christ. It's Savior esteem that sets us free. But hey, you don't want to listen to that? You want to listen to God? Be prepared to reap what you sow. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you guys remember him? Here's what he said about self. He said, the real cause of failure ultimately in marriages is always self and the various manifestations of self. Of course, that's the cause of trouble everywhere in every realm, self and selfishness are the greatest disrupting forces in the world. All the major problems confronting the world, whether you look at it from a matter, a standpoint of nations and statements, uh, statesmen and standpoints of industry or social conditions, or from any other standpoint, all these troubles ultimately come back to self, to my rights, what I want, to who is he and who is she. Self and all its horrid manifestations always leads to trouble. Because if you have two selves that come into opposition, there is bound to be a clash. Self always wants everything for itself. That is true of myself, but it's equally true of yourself. You at once have two autonomous powers, each deriving from self, and a clash is inevitable. Such classes occur at every level, from two people right on up to great communities, great empires, and great nations. Self-esteem teachings distort the Bible, reflect the world, appeal to the natural man. The Bible teaches to esteem others better than self, to love one another as we already love ourselves, and to get busy denying yourself daily. Why? Because this is the answer. How could this happen? Why is it the great nations? Why is it the great countries? Why is it the great families and marriages, great businesses, and dare I say, even great churches fall apart? Why do they crumble? Why do they go out of existence? What happened to America? It's because we allow the infiltration of a satanic self-worship into every aspect of our society, including the church. And the Bible clearly says that once you become a society in the church, out of the church, of lovers of selves, you just open up the floodgates to wickedness beyond your wildest dreams. Satan is a master of deceit. We're going to close today on a video that I think really depicts what he's up to. Hopefully our eyes will be open and we could get back to being like we're supposed to be. Deny ourselves, esteem others better than us and get busy loving God first if we can turn this ship around. But let's watch this. Here is what he's up to, folks. I introduce to you the father of lies. Here's what we're going down the tooth. Let's take a look. Ladies and are- gentlemen,
3: beginning know exactly how you work i know all of your cravings know what makes you go berserk been lying from the start just to make you play a part in my infinite rebellion against the father god everything he is and i make you hate him too make you hate him with your actions it's so easy for me to do cause you like it sin feels good for the ego you love it oh come on baby let your head all the time i'm winding up like my perfect little puppet you're my favorite Is a lie that works for everyone, everyone A lie that opens up your heart so I can get me some more of your free will I'm winding you, winding you Give me the control, that's why I'm telling you Selling you anything, everything Appealing to your human way of being And I use it all against you just to keep your eyes from seeing Past the life you're living, past the moment you're in past the pleasure of your sin or the cigarette you're smoking talking on your lust I'll make you drunk with pride so deeply spun into my system that you won't see the exploded and you're the result of this cosmic unknown with no real purpose created for no real intent the reason for your living is just coincidence so all that remains is what you can gain whatever Say so. I attach your self to the salary You're paid, be a slave to your property Your jewelry, your cars and things
0: And it's coming for each one of us. We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain, and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly. The Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same As the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars, just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row.